Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Tenet Thursday's edition of the Tenet Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Tony Anderson, and I have the pleasure of introducing Mr. Craig G. Telfer. Hi, Craig. Hi, Tony. Thank you very, very much for having me on the show this evening. It's great to see you, although we were very lucky enough we got to catch up with each other on Saturday night. I think that's the first time in you know, good wee while since we, we last saw each other. So it was an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you after the Scotland game. And I think that we were both absolutely feeling 10 out of 10 when we last saw each other. Yeah, it was a, it was a real buzz. Up. I mean, even though I've been back in football stadiums, it had been the first time I'd been in a, a serious full house in a large stadium with a, a sort of massive game. Like being back in the Hibs games has been absolutely great, but... It's the grind of the start of the season. Tyne Castle was good for the derby, but it was a nil-nil. So there was no, that buzz when you leave wasn't there. And to yeah. be at a game with 50,000 people all in it together, to score a last minute goal like that, it was like, it was, it's just such a rare occurrence for a Scottish game. And it felt like it was, it was really meant to be. It was, it was. You know something like, I, I was working at the game, like hosting stuff in hospitality. And, and, it, and it was great. I've done it in the past for games against... Kazakhstan against San Marino against Moldova last month but this was and, and after it's been we've won all those matches and it's great everyone's in a good mood the performances weren't amazing but you know there wasn't really much at stake but I think this game had so much riding on it and given how how well people wanted us to do on the back of the, the positive performance against Austria that the, the, the way the match swung backwards and forwards, how well we played in the second half, the, the chances that we missed coming up into injury time, the, the, the climax of the match itself, I have never felt like that after watching a Scotland game. And I include 
when we beat Serbia on penalties. That was amazing. But this just felt this felt different. And I suppose it's that communal experience. You know, it's one thing watching Scotland win a penalty shootout on television in an empty stadium where no one can enjoy it. But being there and being surrounded by people all going through the same thing, all experiencing the same thing that you did, it was amazing. And waking up the next day, just wanting to talk about it and watch the highlights and relive it. And, and did you see the game last night? Did you see the game last night? And talk about Billy Gilmore and talk about Patterson and, and Dykes. And yeah, amazing feeling. Absolutely amazing feeling. I, I, I mean, to ask this to a lot of us uh, who, who do this, that um, talk about football, I can sometimes feel it a bit of a chore, you know, when it's just the, the sort of bog standard stuff that you talk to sort of work colleagues and stuff about just because we do this so often. Yeah. So, so we, we go through it all and then you have to you have to replay it. But um, that was, I think, a really good point that you made there is that this wasn't that case. I was desperate to talk to anyone yeah. about this sort of incredible feeling. And yeah, it's so rare that I do it like when it's like Hibs winning huge cup games or derbies and it was the same where I am just watching highlights on a loop uh, and I'm going back to it every so often or when you're flicking on Twitter, every time it comes back on your timeline, yes, I will be putting the five minutes aside yes. to watch that and, and get the and get the buzz going again. And it's just when you remember why you fucking bother uh, going through it all. A hundred percent, man, hundred percent. You think of the... Some of the best days of your life are connected with football and supporting, supporting a smaller team. And, and I suppose you, to a, to a lesser extent, support, a, 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 in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. a smaller team. When you, when you have your good times watching watching Stennis Muir play, for instance, and you're watching it with, say you're watching it, you watch it it's like, it means so much to like, say like 400 people, 500 people, it's a big game. And that's amazing because it's something that you, you spend the whole season striving for. But to just be in that position with so many people and being at Hamden, it was loud, going out there and being there for the national anthems and like during the Israeli national anthem, just Scotland, Scotland yeah. being shouted over the top it, being like, you, like it was like everyone telling like the, the Israeli players, you are not going to enjoy yourselves. Mm. You're not going to enjoy yourselves. There's like, there's like 55,000 people are coming for you. And, and just to be put through the ringer, like, and, and going through, you know, you, you can't have, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, you can't have your pl- uh, pleasure without the pain. And if you could have chosen, would you prefer a comfortable 4-0 win like we scored early in the first half, we got a goal just before the interval, goal just after the restart. Yeah. Would you prefer that or would you rather go and, and win it like that and, and, and have that emotion at the full-time whistle? You would, you would go with that all the time. And I saw you, as you said, in the in the pub after the game, which was which was great fun. And uh, you were looking very dapper, as as always, Craig. And the hair was something that that I noticed. And since I I see you on the telly, and obviously I see you when we do this over Zoom, but in person, it's got higher than than I remember. Well, I think Tony, and I said this just before we started going. When you when you get to our age, so sort of mid thirties. I know it's easy for you. You've got a you've got a long term girlfriend, so it's easy. It's perhaps easy for a man like yourself. You you're not you're not competing out there. I mean, I'm competing. I'm I'm single and I am and I'm looking if uh, and not in a desperate way, but just in, in case something. So like David Brent there. You know, like, if I see a bargain, I've got the money. <laughs> not in that way, but it's like you need to have, you need to have something that stands out a bit. And I do think my best quality is a nice big thick head of hair. Men, when you get to our age, they, they perhaps. Uh, can can let themselves go a little bit. Can can become a bit more balding. Can can become a bit sagging around. <laughs> let, 
letting themselves go bold yeah, like yeah. they had any choice in the matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they chose, they chose to make it I chose to get stressed and lose parts of my hair. That's <laughs> And I think my, my hair is my best quality, so why not accent it and let it grow a bit and let it become a bit voluminous? And I think that, that women will, will look for that, and I think that having a good head of hair is perhaps a sign of virility. Mm. Maybe, maybe it means in some countries. I imagine it is. I imagine it would be. It's like a, like a mane uh, in, the, in the animal kingdom. They can see you it's from like, all around. I'm sure there's certain parts of Africa where being, like, where being fat is seen as a sign of virility and, and a sign of being prosperous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not the same in this country, but imagine having a mane, that big luscious head of locks. That is something that will set you apart from uh, the rest of the marks. I used to, when thinking about when I was a bit younger, not young, I was probably in my mid-twenties, I used to use that volumizing, volumizing powder mm. uh, on my hair. I'd done that for a while. Um, I remember doing it, uh, 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 I was doing it at a festival in Budapest and I couldn't find it one day uh, and, and, I, and I got myself panicked and I'm like, anyone see my, my volumizer powder? And obviously that was a hilarity ensued for, for all the other people there finding it bizarre that I'm shouting at Mandy, my fiance, asking her to empty all her stuff for, for volumizer powder. And I don't get the feeling that it really was tuggy when you took it out and it was really, I started thinking, is that, is that a reason why this, this very specific bit where my fringe would be, uh, is that why that's gone? Have I literally just pulled the full girls out? It's a, it's a, it's a frightening thought. It, it, it's a frightening thought, but it's, it's never a problem that, that I've had. I think the older I get, the, I mean, I use like at times with three different products in my hair and I've got a good hair dryer as well. Uh, very, very, I think that is really important when you're wanting to make volume is taking the time to blow dry it like yes. that does everything really. That's yes. the main thing. So you you use a you you come out you towel dry your hair, mm-hmm. dry it about a third of the way through, then spray like sea salt spray through it, mm-hmm. and then spray it through, and that gives us this whole a little bit of wax in there to hold it, and then the volumizing clay just to give it that extra bit of puff. So there you go. There's your three step guide, or that's not that's not, not a three step guide, a several step guide to having uh, voluminous hair. There we go. Perfect. And people that I say we've been talking about this enjoyable thing, times in our life and getting together after the game and what, what a feeling it was in hand. And the reason we do that is because we're about to go on to sort of like not just one, but two sort of more depressing games that uh, we've watched. Obviously, one of them on um, Tuesday night. Yep. Just passed, which was obviously we, we, at least we got the result in the end. But we're also going to do, as we normally do with these games, one of our 50 most memorable Scotland games and this time we did, would you know it's against a minnow but this time we didn't get it hitting off Lyndon Dyke's chest and going in we'd been thoroughly thumped 3-0 by Kazakhstan 2019 so I thought we could start with some fun things yeah. before moving on to what was a really really tough game on Tuesday night in the Pharaohs Craig you know something man the, the game was it was as I expected it, Tony, to be honest. I, I mean, it didn't make it any less frustrating and watching it was a really, really frustrating experience. But it was sort of how I expected. You know, I think that in terms of minnows, over the last few years, certainly the Faroe Islands are a much better side than they were previously. I think they're like the, the best of the worst, mm-hmm. as it were. You can see the, the improvement they've put in in terms of like the stadium in Torshavn. looks a decent wee ground. It looks a good fun to watch. Particularly you see the ultras behind the goals. Absolutely that, brilliant. I mean, that, that was like really sad. I never, I didn't know. I didn't notice any of the last times that we played over there. And they, I wish... 
I wish we could have got a goal ahead earlier so it wasn't quite so sort of anxious yes. to enjoy because, I mean, they were singing Backstreet Boys and you don't get to see fans behind the goal singing Backstreet Boys anywhere near enough. You do not get it in international football anyway, that's for sure. Excuse me. But I think one of the things, well, the Faroe are a very well-coached side. They're a difficult side to break down. And I think that in Scotland, we don't necessarily have the players that can unlock stingy mm-hmm. defences. I think a lot of the, 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 the Scotland's team is set up to perhaps... I mean, we're not... We, we're at the handy side. We're not an amazing side. But our teams perhaps are set up to maybe come up against sides that are a bit more open against you. We don't have that that, that ability to break side, sides down. So from an attacking perspective, it was a frustrating night because we certainly didn't create a massive number of chances. We opened them up a couple of times. But I think from the other end, particularly in the first half, Faroe Islands were the better side. Mm-hmm. And it had not been for a combination of wayward finishing and a, a really good save from Craig Gordon, we could have found ourselves in a lot of trouble. So overall, Tony, I thought we would win the game. I thought it would be a, a, a really stingy result, but I, it wasn't as... It was a lot more frustrating and a lot more anxious and a lot more shouting at the television and the pub that, than I had anticipated. Because like, this this often happens. Uh, I'm sure you get, we watch this tennis beer, I get a lot with Hibs. It's like when you have these big games, emotional games, that there's a come down uh, for the next match. And it's not as, if it's, see if it's uh, from, from my experience, see if it's at Easter Road, there's maybe slightly less fans than there would have been at Hamden when you win that big semi-final or you've, beat, you've beaten Hearts during the week at Easter Road yeah. under the lights and it was rammed and then you're playing St Mirren. No offence to anyone, just it's just not as big a game and there's less fans there but, and, and everyone sits in expectation because it's, and it's quiet. And that hangover, I feel we see quite, that, that's quite frequent for a lot of teams and that's something that we probably need bigger teams learn how to deal with it because it's quite a constant theme for them. Like and the re- I see it with Celtic, for example, when they play huge European games at Parkhead. There's nothing I would love more than seeing Celtic beating AC Milan or Barcelona at Parkhead or getting a huge result and that Man United and then they're actually playing at Easter Road the next game. Yeah. That's sort of like, the, it's the same thing. That's because that come down happens and it was frustrating. And, and like you say, we're, we're designed to either so counter-attack on teams or to suffocate teams through pure, I think with, with Israel, with pure endeavour because we're really fit, we're really quick in, in a lot of position. But what worried me hugely in this game was the sort of, the vulnerability in defence. I really hope that that wouldn't be seen again after what happened again with Grant Hanley coming back in, but that didn't really seem to make a difference. We were still struggling with sort of vertical balls through the middle of our team. Some of the we lost the two free kicks in the Israel game and the the, the, the chance after the second equaliser as well that they should have scored with. And that sort of reared its head again. And that's quite a worrying part of our... It maybe speaks to the fact that we don't play with natural defenders in there. You know something, Tony, that's quite interesting you're saying that because, again, you were right to point out that against Israel, when it was effectively like 40-yard balls forward, mm. we looked we looked what, uh, bothered by that. And I can say we looked bothered by that for a combination of the Israelis have got like a, a, a certainly a, a really, really good forward in Erin Zahavi, 
who is, I mean, we've, been, we've come up against the guy, what, like five times recently, and he, he seems to, uh, he, I think he scored in, in most games against it. he's got a phenomenal record. He's, he scored in nearly every game he plays, he's, he's got, he's kicking about like 26 goals and 28 caps for Israel. Phenomenal record, looking at his record for, in, in China, and since he's come back to you, well, come back to you, signed for uh, PSV in COVID. Yeah. Like his, his, his goal record's phenomenal. So the guy is like a, a, a phenomenon for, in, in Israeli football. So you can understand if they're playing balls forward, they've got a guy like Aaron Zahavi playing. And on top of that, a lot of the debate was about who was going to play in defence in Grant Hanley's absence, that you've got guys who are, are good defenders, but are perhaps your, your B defenders, mm. that are perhaps more comfortable. You know, they, they work well in tandem with a meat and potatoes defender, mm-hmm. but they can step out. They can be a bit more progressive. They can carry the ball into the middle of the park. And we did have that and effectively went for three B defenders yeah. in that game. I mean, ultimately it worked because we got the win, but then you're coming against the Faroe Islands and you think, well, there's Grant Hanley restored. You've got your defensive linchpin and you've got guys who will be able to carry the ball out from the back in um, I think it was Hendry and, and Tierney were yeah. the, the, the two defenders in, in that instance. And you think, well, well that's fine. You've got a stopper there. But we looked dare I say it more vulnerable yeah. or maybe it was, maybe, maybe it was more vulnerable I was perhaps surprised at the frequency that it was happening and, and just surprised at how easy it was particularly in the first half for mm-hmm. the Fairlines to get behind us and then we've got McTominay was restored to the centre of Scotland's midfield and there seems to be a theme coming on for McTominay that despite him being a certainly a good English Premier League central midfielder and his manager certainly loves him at, 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 at club level and I rate him whenever I watch him but there seems to be something happening when he plays at seven. he never really seems to get much of a performance and this one was a bit different from others is that he was extremely involved it was the most involved I've seen yeah. McTominay in a game but it really wasn't happening for him No, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right I think that in Scotland's midfield at the moment, Billy Gilmer is going to be one of the first names in the team sheet. Mm. Billy Gilmer has got the potential to be a, a, a elite level player if, if, his, if he if, with a bit of luck and, and he, the right moves and so on. And I think between him and Callum McGregor, there's there's a there's right good balance there. And we didn't really have that. We didn't. I think that McTominay and Gilmore, they didn't really seem to complement each other. I don't think we saw the best of Billy Gilmore there. Certainly didn't see the best of Scott McTominay. And you're right in saying that he was involved in pretty much most things that, that Scotland were doing. And, and that's not necessarily a positive because there's times sort of like giving the ball away, something a bit sloppy with, it, with his passes forward. Yeah, about four shots. He had, like, he had numerous shots in the game. Yeah, getting turned over, sort of poor decision-making. And it's frustrating because I think at Manchester United, obviously, it's a very specific role, you know, in that team where he is by no means a fat, flashy player. I think someone, you mentioned his manager, like him, his manager would love him because he, he, he's very good at carrying out instructions. Mm-hmm. He's told to do a specific job and, and he's very capable at, at fulfilling it. But I don't know, Tony. I, 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 you try to get your, your head around that why it's not necessarily working out for him in a Scotland shirt, and I, I'm not sure I know the answer to it. Like maybe he wants to do more. Like I'm just saying, we, we rarely see him. He scored a few goals for for Man United, but we rarely see him up like going beyond the strikers at the right in the right oh, wing yeah. area, which he, which he was during this game. And he seems to want to get on the ball. What I'm hoping with Gilmore being the one who is the go-to guy, McTominay maybe finds finds the role that he has at Man United that he can actually just go ahead and play it for Scotland without the, the added pressure that I feel he takes maybe on himself because he feels I'm a big player and he is 
I play for Man United. I need to carry. I need to do a lot more for Scotland. And we've had this with, with numerous players over the years when we asked them. Darren Fletcher's probably a really easy example. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they maybe expect more of themselves and, and it doesn't suit them. No. And I'm hoping maybe with Gilmore in there that McTominay over time, because I think it's going to be this weird moment for McTominay where he's like one of our bigger name players playing at the highest level, but I feel like he's going to be a go-to guy who just gets moved from the pitch to cover and that there might be the occasions where he actually, when the squad's at its full strength, might not even get on, might not even start. If I was picking my, my full strength Scotland team, my, my, my personal best love in McTominay wouldn't be in it. Mm. I, 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 I've got to say, and it's, I, I, the, the, the comparison with Darren Fletcher is, is, uh, is a good one and not just because they both played for Manchester mm-hmm. United, but you've got, like I say, two guys that are very good at, at helping, at greasing the wheels, essentially. You're not necessarily going to get anything flashy from them, but they allow the better players, the more attacking talents in that team to flourish and so they can they can go forward without necessarily having to worry go, going the other way. Fletcher was amazing at that, and you're right. I think when he stepped up to Scotland, Scotland squad, there's an expectation. You play for Manchester United. How, how are you not dominating games? How are you not like playing defence splitting passes? But another part of his game, there was an expectation for that. And I just think that if, if I was picking within that three four three or three three four one two system, whatever. The midfield for me would be McGregor and Gilmore with McGinn playing a little bit further forward than that. And I, I, I can't see I, I can't see that happen. I thought McGregor made a difference when he came on. I saw the, the, the substitutions all made a difference when they when they came on. I think they were the right calls to move them on. I was think- just a bit surprised to see them as late. There as we go, they- yeah. No, yeah. no, there we go. Yeah, yeah, because that's exactly what I was just literally about to ask you. Were you, were you a bit frustrated at how late that was? I was. I was thought, thought that it took me a long time to realise that Ryan Fraser was in the park. <laughs> I think that I, like right wing back, it's a. I always think it's a position that never really suits an attacker. I always think it's like a, a, a fullback's position that you you become a defender, then you become a wing back. I don't think you become an attacker then become a wing-back. And I think that, I know it's it's later on into the game and Fairlands would have been tiring, but when Nathan Patterson came on, just what a big difference that, mm. that he made. And obviously he puts in a phenomenal ball that, that leads to the goal. But I think going forward, I think we'll have learned a lot from this game going forward where I thought in that, that coming into this match, as, as little changes as mm. possible. We mentioned about the Faroe Island standing there. They're, they're not a, a team to, to trifle with. They might have been in the past. And I think when we beat them 4-0 at Hamden, I think that scoreline was perhaps quite flattering to us. I don't Absolutely. think it was a, a 4-0 scoreline. I think Steve Clark himself said it wasn't a 4-0 scoreline. You can't trifle that. And so as few changes as possible. And I think that what we'll see going forward, what I think we might see going forward, is that we have our, your first choice to live in. And I think that the guys like McGregor, Patterson are part of that first choice eleven, mm-hmm. and where possible, we will see as little interference. I think maybe Patterson was perhaps take it didn't play in that game because I, I, I'm trying. He had to, a roller coaster. He yeah, sort of epitomised yeah. their whole performance against Israel. He had a roller coaster himself because uh, ah. his first half was really tough. Second half, he really grew into it, and, and he started being a huge attacking sort of plus point for us. And I think sometimes. Managers just want to protect people. It's yeah. So I understand it, but totally. So I'm thinking like even when uh, like so sorry to bring it back to Stennis Muir, but we had David Templeton and the team was a 16 year old. To begin with, the manager was quite reluctant to to play him, but for for the team, any time the team were playing poorly, get Davy on. Aye. 
Yeah. Get daily on like this 16-year-old is going to be the magic bullet for, for this football team. And it shouldn't be like that. And it shouldn't be that we're having to rely on a, a 19, 20-year-old who's only got a few games on this, but I suppose we're, we're relying on Gilmore, who's the same age. But I do think that that with Patterson, it, it, it's it's a case of just easing him and gently. But I think from that, what we've seen, the options there, Stephen O'Donnell been a very useful player for Scotland, but but limited in, in what he does. Especially in these sort of away games against tough uh, opposition, you might we uh, might go to him. Uh, Ryan Fraser, I prefer him playing further forward. I actually thought that that the change might have been for Christie to come on, for Christie to go off, Patterson to come on, Fraser, Fraser to go up front and and join because they, they've they've had a relationship in the past. You saw that against the Czech Republic, or like, like the last time we played them, they, they were excellent up, up like, front. And Israel away, um, they, they yes. two played up front together. And Fraser scored the equaliser. We're getting to a, obviously this people were calling it an experiment with with Ryan Fraser, but he did. Uh, this was something he done literally the last time we played the Pharaohs. Uh, Ryan Fraser played right wing back. He played well. He scored a goal. So it was uh, something that while I didn't really agree with that, I think it would yeah. much, especially away from home. And I don't want to, I mean, it's a sacrilege thing to mention uh, uh, a surface on the Terrace podcast, but, but <laughs> like, you, you know you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so Ryan Fraser, suddenly it was a, a bit more of a big ask. They were going to look to attack a little bit more, which they certainly did. Yes. And then Fraser, it just it just didn't work. In the game, the home game, he did pretty much just play as a winger. And he mm. probably wanted to recreate that, but we weren't anywhere near as on top in no. this match so it just didn't work and we're getting to the stage where Ryan Fraser is that I like the loyalty that Clark has and and it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's helped creating this environment that the players I mean they're all talking off on their interviews about how great it is they're all checking when's the next time they meet up which I mean is unheard of for Scottish national teams uh, in our lifetime they all seem to want to get as far away from it as humanly possible calling calling sick every time there's a <laughs> there's a get together or whatever but this team they're all I, I saw them all talking off um, on the interviews saying oh it's going to be five months till we get together again after the the Moldova and Denmark games and they were they, they were they were upset about it because they all feel like close friends and close knit and I get that and that's something that uh, Clark that's probably the best thing he's done along with being able to get a tune out with Tierney and Robertson together but Fraser's we're getting to the stage now he's played 50 minutes this season for Newcastle that's a problem whether you whether you want to create this vibe or not that he starts to it starts to become more and more and more difficult it can't be for us in these big games and we're trying to improve to be sort of keeping him ticking over which I feel like we're kind of doing I think I think that with what's going on at Newcastle as well in the future, I think Ryan Fraser could be one of those players that's very quietly moved on elsewhere where the likes of a, a Philippa Coutinho comes in mm-hmm. and takes that sort of wide attacker's role at Newcastle. I do know what you mean. I think that that, that Ryan Fraser has been a, a, a good player for Scotland in the past and still does have his uses. I don't want to completely dismiss him off the back of a fairly mediocre performance against the Faroe Islands. He has been, he's been good. He's been good for Clark, hence the reason why he's still getting a run despite not getting any minutes. He has been good. Excuse me. Sorry, I've, I've been drinking Diet Cola there, so I, I, I apologise for, 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 for my, my gassy performance. <laughs> Brian Fraser was drinking Diet Cola. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're only playing 50 minutes... You know, it might have worked in the past where like you've got guys that are playing at like a reasonable level in England that are only that are substitutes. We seem to be moving away from that, whereas like our best players are all playing 
and then regularly and yeah. at a good level, you think of, I mean, I could go through, we mentioned McTominay, Robertson, Kieran Tierney's one of Arsenal football club's best players. Mm-hmm. Gilmer, Again, best player at Villa, one of the best. Even Dykes has went down there. Now he's hugely important to QPR. I know it's championship, but he's like a hugely important player yeah. there now. And, and it's where, where Fraser's peripheral, I suppose, I mean, he's still got his qualities, but I do think that we are now at a stage where we're, we're, we're moving beyond just picking players because they were, they're quite good. We need yeah. to a bit of tangible evidence to, to go. And Fraser needs to make sure he does that because he, he, he's more than well, he should be part of the squad with his ability. There's no yeah. absolutely no doubt about that, especially with the sort of creativity that you spoke about earlier that we mm-hmm. definitely lack. Fraser does have that. He's got a great dead ball. He's very good at crossing. It should work. We'd, I want him to be around because you saw the link up he had with, with Callum Wilson back at Bournemouth. Yes. You could picture that working with Dykes, for example. Like, so that should work, but he's, he needs to he needs to earn it now. That's the, the squad and the teams, as you said, it has, has went ahead, and and we need to earn it. But it was just like as we as you say, Tony. This was just a frustrating performance because I think that what I was looking for coming into this game, like I say, I expected it to be difficult. I, I thought we'd win two 0 I, I thought it'd be. Professional. I saw people prior to that, some some people follow on Twitter were suggesting like dropping Craig Gordon and playing Liam Kelly in it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it I was like, right, right, come, come on. It's like like I said, this isn't the Fear Islands a few years ago. This this team aren't, aren't to be trifled with. And I think what I was expecting there was control. I was expecting very similar to what we saw in the second half against Israel, where we have got them really pegged back a lot. A lot of the ball, Billy Gilmer's seen a lot of the ball. Mm-hmm. And we are able to, to get it forward and, and, and get the ball in and around Lyndon Dykes. But that didn't really seem to happen. Dykes, although you're a massive contribution, I don't think he was necessarily his best. I thought that we seemed to be playing, and I don't know what you thought, but we seemed to be just getting the ball out wide and just chucking crosses in. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we're chucking crosses when you've only really got one target to aim at in Dykes. Yeah, we didn't even have Adams there. We didn't even have a proper front two because it naturally what Christie's going to do is well, you, well, you're on there, Tony. That's a real interest. I'm glad you brought up Shea Adams because I saw people talking after the Israel game that Adams was a bit quiet. He didn't really do much in that game. Nonsense. You see him. That's how, when you see that, that's when you appreciate how good a player Shea Adams is. And it's, it's just unfortunate that it's had to be a game where he's missed out on to appreciate how, how good he is. And just His, his ability much- to protect, his, his first touch is impeccable. His ability, he's got the, he does the whole arse out thing. He's got a low centre of gravity. So we constantly protect the ball and then he uses it wisely. Like him and Robertson link up quite well. And I'd probably be no surprise that Robertson's um, performances have went up since Adams has went into the team. And then obviously we have the two, then he's used to being in the box. He's used to being part of a front two, Adams. And then you've got the two targets because obviously Robertson is, is, is grown into the Scotland role and now he's probably our main creative outlet, which we always expected. His crossing, he's getting lots of assists just now, even when he was doing underlap against it. We saw both sides in the Israel one, the underlap, and him sort of putting them in from, from wide. But to go back to something you were talking about earlier, that lack of creativity and Ryan Fraser's spot there, I don't want to do this because I don't want to start a huge debate, but this is where things like Ryan Gold's his so his what he has in his bag of tricks. That there, there can be an argument about whether he's good enough or not, but we don't have that. It's one. It's one of the, the probably the only thing we're really lacking properly as a team now. Mm-hmm. Does it not make sense that right? Because you're not really playing. It's not really great. You, we've got people who are doing the job that you can do. 
And then you bring in someone like Gold who can bring that one thing we are missing when we're playing these teams. You bring on Gold in 60 minutes. Suddenly you've got a guy who wants to get the ball, happy of it in tight spaces. Please, but I'm talking like I've watched Gold play fucking at all in the last, since he left Hibs after injury prone period. But but you understand what I mean. He, he, has, he has other abilities and attributes that we lack elsewhere. And he was just, I'm sure there's another player maybe, but that was the one that came off the top of my head. I don't want to sound like one of those like weird Twitter accounts that as soon as you see like a, a 16-year-old playing in the Spanish second division who's vaguely <laughs> yeah. connected to Scott, call him up, yeah. call him up, Clark out, get this, get this guy in. I, I would like to see Gold. I'd like to see him given a chance. You know, I think that he did. He was certainly, certainly highly rated for his time in, in Portugal. And I think that perhaps his move to the United States, or certainly to, to the MLS when he's playing in Canada, but his move into to the MLS, it was perhaps just a bit fed up that he wasn't being given those opportunities. And I think that financially... Like he wants to just go and enjoy life. And like, uh, I've had a, if nobody cares, then fine, I'm just going to go and let, live the best life I could possibly have. His, and his ability to make money as well. I think he's been very well looked after. Uh, <laughs> It shouldn't be predicated on whether or not Steve Clark thinks he's good enough for, for the Scotland side. I, I, I would just like to like to have seen him given more of a chance, particularly when he was really reaching his zenith at uh, in Portugal last year. And I do think you're right that, that he does have qualities that, that perhaps we don't have. But the thing is, Tony, it's like how often in a game like would we have needed a gold like against Israel, for instance, maybe not. That's maybe not the, the, the kind of game. It's the sort of games that we're coming up against where we do really need to unlock it against defences. And I don't think they come up all that often for us. Like a game like that tonight when we really have them pegged back and don't, you know, Israel, we were able to probe and we were able to pull them out because Israel did look to, to, you know, did look to come at us at times. Didn't happen in the second half, but that was more down to us than them. Whereas the Faroe Islands were like, right, we are going to stick have a, a like seven man backline what you're going to do about it and we're like chuck crosses and yeah. hopefully one of them will land uh, at Lyndon Dykes which it did Craig as a way of finishing Patterson did get one in and it so deflected off a defender it seems and then just smashed off Dykes' chest yeah. in the net uh, but I don't want to like that's four goals in a row for Dykes and he just keeps on it's like you, I, I, I like him simply I can relate a hard relate really with Scotland fans who sort of they complain about Dykes because he's not that easy on the eye. He gives the ball away, he makes bad decisions. But I'm of I, I watch Hibs, and again, I'm I'm going to use Hibs as an example because we've got Christian Doidge, which is exactly exactly the same thing. It's exactly, and we are a miles better team when Doidge's in the team, and it's exactly the same with Dykes. And he's going to be like Doidge again. Like he'll be a streaky striker. For Scotland, but there is no way now that anyone can argue that Dykes has to play when he's fit. Dykes is Dykes can be frustrating. Uh-huh. He's limited. He, he he sometimes struggles to last ninety minutes. But he, I absolutely adore him. I I, uh-huh. I love Lyndon Dykes, and I think that if, if, if sort of thing, if I was ever good enough to play for Scotland. God forbid that some massive tragedy <laughs> happens that wipes out five million people. They have to go, they have to, the, the next level, they have to go down as, as Scottish football celebrities. That is, <laughs> so, so who are the celebrities? Is Jonathan Sutherland, uh, Paul Slane? No, 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 they've been wiped out as well. We need to go even further down. Um, as long as Craig Fowler's not on that pitch, I can handle it, trust me. I've, I've seen it. It's not a pretty sight. It's like, but that embodiment of just like, 
just throwing yourself around, giving everything you've got and making the most of it, making a nuisance of yourself, occupying players, allowing your, doing the hard stuff, allowing the team to, a long ball goes in and Dykes is able to take it in and you can push the team 20 yards up the pitch on the back of that alone. And being at the right places, run. I know it took a, it seemed to flick off a defender and off his groin before going into the back of the net. But even just putting yourself into mm. those situations can go a long way. I mean, it's a phenomenal ball in from Patterson. Can I say that? I mean, there was there were some good balls that we put in, just there was no one there to take advantage. This was one of the this was the only occasion that the ball came in. And I really, really by just being there, a good finish. And he is such an important player for mm. Scotland, Lyndon Dykes. And I can people people will say that oh he's he's, he's no good enough. And that well, well, who's better than him? Exactly. Who, well, have lead, who, who else would you want leading the line if it's no Lyndon Dykes? Just fucking we're about to go on to the Kazakhstan game where we had Ollie McFucking Burney um oh. run it. And that's and he was and he had a period where he was much more fashionable than Dykes. He probably is, to be honest. I mean, I've seen McBurney and his touch is probably slightly better and he looks he looks the part sometimes, but it just doesn't have it and it, it doesn't work as hard. He doesn't know how to move as well. And that's exactly what, and what's something Clark's done well. He branched out. He went, we, we were fucking shite up front. It was just, we were absolutely terrible. And we had to go out and find guys who we could do it. We had to go to Livingston and uh, find the guy. And I think that, that I, I may be repeating points that, that other people have made, but it's like one of the reasons that Dykes is, I, I really like Dykes is the mentality. It's a never, never get your head down. I mean, going back to the Israel game, the penalty that he struck was dreadful. It's one of the worst penalties I've ever seen at any level. Dreadful penalty, particularly given what was at stake mm-hmm. as well, made it so bad. And you could have like, or like, let the head go down, but he didn't do that. He went out there and got the team back into that mm-hmm. game. I mean, it was a karate kick finish. I mean, it doesn't get you. You rarely see a, a brilliant run across the defender and then karate kicking it in the net. That's like, fucking dream stuff. Like something a Tekken. To- <laughs> A token, and then it smashes in the net. Can he be it? I mean, he should have had the hat trick. He should have scored the penalty. And he should have scored the header. But there was never any point where he allowed himself to, to to become frustrated by that. He still played, still absolutely ran his plan in for the team. Just- and that's so important when you're top. When we don't have top level strikers, that that has to, that mentality has to become because we knew we might need them. We need them to go again. We need them to go. He can't get his head down, and we don't have that anywhere else. So he just no. becomes. His level of importance just goes through the roof. It's, it's, it, can, it can be frustrating the fact that, that as a country we seem to be producing so many good players. And unfortunately, if, I mean, if you were thinking, if, if you were putting a team together and you say you can have, you can have, if you had to pick up a, a position that you would not want to have a world class player in, you would pick fullback. <laughs> yeah. You'd be, we've we've got we've got two top end fullbacks. And they're both they both play in the same position, mm. and we don't have a, a Gareth Bale. I mean, that's what we love in, in mm. Scotland. I know it's false equivalence, but we all similar size team, mm-hmm. similar uh, profile uh, group of players. You would love to have a Gareth Bale type, but we don't. But we've got we've got someone who just by through sheer bloody mindedness can drag us through games and has scored four goals. And as you mentioned, four goals in his last four matches. I I adore Lyndon Dykes. Yeah. Absolutely adore him. Well, from going from something we adore to something we certainly do not adore, and that would be 21st of March, 2019, where Scotland were on that, what ended up, strange enough, being a successful campaign that led to uh, Euro 2020, where we were defeated 3-0 by Kazakhstan and possibly the single most abject performance of our life. And there's been lots. There's been lots, Craig. I think that's probably correct. 
Yeah, Kazakhstan hadn't they, they hadn't won in twenty matches. Wow! Before we turned up, if, if I think I'm right in saying that, I look at the BBC article prior to that. Yeah, the Kazakhstan did one of the last twenty qualifiers in that game, but we were. I, Watching the highlights back for this story, I actually text, sent you a text message mm-hmm. about 10 minutes before we were about to get it going. I was like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> it, was, it was just, it was embarrassing. And it was a, it was a, it was a real low point from a bunch of players that I don't think a lot of people liked from a manager who nobody liked other than Ron, Rob Pe- Ron Petrie. He was the only, play, only person that thought he was a good fit for the job. And when you're planning out your qualifiers for a mid-ranking side like us, you, you look at all the fixtures and think, well, here are the teams. We need to beat them home and away. Maybe get a point against this small one. We'll, we'll lose away in these games when you chart them out. And when you charted out that group there, uh, when we had Cyprus, uh, Kazakhstan and San Marino, you'd be looking at 18 points in those six games against it. And you go into the first fixture in that group, the first fixture, and you get pumped 3-0. And it's like, fuck me, we are up against it here. And it was uh, embarrassing, hugely embarrassing. Well, before we uh, before I name the team, uh, we'll do our usual. I was looking up what was number one uh, in the charts, and it was obviously really, so it was... That you'd expect it was either going to be Lewis Capaldi or Ed Sheeran was off my head, and lo and behold, it was. It was Lewis Capaldi, someone she loves. That sounds like yes. something he someone would. Someone you love. Someone, someone you love. Yeah, which I think is a really one of his really popular ones. But I, I just clicked on it just to remember the song, and uh, Peter Capaldi's in the video, and I had no idea that was a thing. I listen, man. I think uh, Lewis Capaldi. I I'm not going to slag him off because I think the guy's a phenomenally talented singer. It's just really, really not for me. And he's quite yes. a funny guy as well. Uh, he just like he certainly doesn't seem to take himself very seriously. seriously. Uh, he's, his- get, he's getting to that stage where I quite like that at the start, but now he's all he's becoming too aware of it. And, uh, wow. and just and this this cycle that we all go around is is people who consume media, and then we yeah. sort of stu- we start studying people in their entirety career. I suppose well, that's that's it. And in the current day and age, you, you're not just judged on your your music alone. You've got to sell yourself as much as mm-hmm. your music. You can't go to the days where you were like the seventies, where where David Bowie was releasing Station to Station, and then the Berlin trilogy, and you could just get by in fact making amazing music on your own. Now you've got to use social media to sell it, and I think mm-hmm. that Capaldi certainly does that. But the music, it's certainly something that I I'd never really listened to um, myself. But good no. for him getting to number one. Uh, good, yeah, and the young Scottish guy doing doing well. So I mean, can we ever be against that? Uh, but yeah, saying Peter Capaldi just turned up doing like a really sort of video, and he's just wandering the streets, looks upset. His wife, I think, is really unwell. And he brings her flowers uh, and then does he all these. He's a, he's a very um, physical actor, Peter Capaldi. It's a lot of facial expressions, uh, as people would know, for the thick of it. And uh, I think Doctor Who. I do not picture you, Telfer, being a Doctor Who fan. No, Tony, I have no interest in Doctor Who. If you want to find out about Doctor Who, I know there's a, a certain football managing Dundee United fan who's got some very strong opinions on Jodie Whittaker. I, I, I don't, I don't watch it. But listen, you want to get upset about someone with a magic screwdriver saving the world? Crack on. Be my guest. Number my one guess. in 2019 for the movie was Captain Marvel. So this is a problem we've got. It's like the most, it's the most mundane ones. Lewis Capaldi and Ed Sheeran, Captain Marvel. Well, I think that's that that says a lot for culture in, 20, <laughs> in the modern day that it's sort of like a fairly generic pop singer song and 
Uh, Marvel. A Marvel movie. Yeah. And the one before that is Fighting With My Family. That was the week before. I found that quite an interesting movie with uh, about the young girl who comes through the WWE and she wins and she comes from nothing and she goes all the way. I don't know if you've seen that. Nick Frost is the dad. I know uh, I know the movie. I know uh, Paige was the, the That's name it. of yeah, yeah. Paige uh, debuted on the main roster and won the D- it was a Divas title at the time. She won a Divas title from AJ Lee in her first match. Um, and then I think she actually had to retire. She had problems with her neck and had to ah, retire. Was she, she, the talent, Paige was, Paige was a real talent, uh, had, to, had to retire. Um, but, I would recommend that movie then, Craig, if you know the, the, the background. It was relatively well done. Yes, I think Steve Merchant wrote it. Is that he right? He did, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he's got, he's got a cameo in it as well. The Rock's got a cameo in it. Um, and I said it was it was well done for a wrestling movie, especially. I thought it was, it, it, I think it gave a bit of insight into how it is, like try to come through it. Like it's not the, it's not raw, is it? You don't just go, I'm going to be on raw. And I think a lot of people forget that. Or I mean, the I SmackDown. I mean, don't get turn this into the the, the wrestling podcast because leave that for Duncan McKay and Daniel McIver to talk about. But wrestling, remember at the time when people say, "Oh, wrestling's all fake. It's all just it's it's all it's all fake." It's like listen. The risks are real. If you want to be good at it, you really have to put the miles in. You've got to be fit as fuck and you, you've got to be prepared to, to put your body at a lot of risk for it. So I do have a lot of respect for wrestlers. The grind, the grind that there must be to get to the top of something Definitely. like that must be and I think ridiculous. Paige, Paige worked, uh, was her Sarah Jane Beavis, I think her name is. Uh, she worked. She worked really, really hard to get to where she is. And it's just a shame that she's no longer uh, an active wrestler. Anyway, anyway, back to Kazakhstan, unfortunately. And uh, Scott Bain was in goals, oh, Telfer, yeah. who uh, we have, who's, I've always found that Scott Bain's maybe had quite a, quite a fortunate career. He always seems to just land on his feet at different ones. I remember, like, I, when he was at Hibs, he managed to get a move because there was a merry-go-round move that ended up with him, Scott Allen coming to Hibs, someone going to Dundee, and then Scott Bain ended up going to Celtic, which, yeah. and that before he'd even kicked a ball for Hibs. And then it was like when McGregor and Gordon were like retired or were finished, he was the only one kicking about. The same habit that Celtic people were shit. They, they signed expensive goalies who were shit. So Bain has to go between the sticks. But in recent years, because he's been put, he's been put in these pressurised positions, we see that Scott Bain isn't particularly good. And that save in the Dundee Derby was great. But we do not want Scott Bain to be number one for Scotland. I was looking through the team here, Tony, and it's a real fallow period in terms of, there's a real dearth of positions in terms of goalkeepers. Scott Bain now would never get anywhere near the Scotland squad, I don't think. And this is, like, even if he was playing regularly for Celtic, I, I just never thought he's, he, he's good enough. I think that's sort of like, a, at best, a mid-ranking uh, top-flight team's about his level. I don't think he's had an interesting journey, to be fair, getting released by Aberdeen. Mm-hmm all the way down to the third division with Aloe Athletic and, and building your way up. And he's, I mean, he's far too good for that level, obviously, but mm. never quite good. I mean, let's be honest, playing, playing for Celtic. I, I, I don't think so. Guys like David Bates. Right, I knew this is what I knew we'd be. I knew we'd be hanging around David Bates for a minute. I absolutely knew. Because he's came back to Scottish football. Right, uh, he came recently. back to Scottish football and was absolutely dreadful against Celtic. I mean, that... He's been dreadful in every game. He was dreadful. The Sibirian game he gave... He's arguably at fault for all three goals and then another one. So that's four uh, goals in two games off the top of my head. The Furuhashi one, just like, 
header it. <laughs> you know, jump. You jump, you might put over the crossbar. Yeah. Job 101 for a defender. Cross comes in that you can reach, you header it. And, and, and seeing like Bates and, and Scott McKenna getting into a fankle for the, the, the Yuri uh, Puri pitch goal, mm-hmm. the, the first goal, which is a punt. I mean, it's, a, it's actually a, it's a, quite a deaf pass. Got to, say, got to give credit for, for the calibre of the pass, but fuck me. It's, it's, a, it's a, like a pitching wedge that mm-hmm. the, the, the midfielders put on the ball to, to send it forward. And it's, it's like lofted and it's, it's fairly flighty. And should easily be dealt with, and neither of them, them, them deal with it. It's like one of those uh, feathery corners that people do uh, oh. when they just float them in, and it's just a, it, like I think that embodied. The, I imagine I didn't see the game. I, I, it was on it like when I was living at the time. It was on about three in the morning. I was working as well, Tony, so I, I didn't see it. So it was about like one or two o'clock in the afternoon. But I remember like checking Twitter at it and seeing we're like we're two down inside ten minutes. Then you are. <laughs> Fucking kidding me on here. That one's like, it must epitomises the, like, it looks like the team doesn't know what to do because the guy's picking up the ball about 60 yards for goal inside his own half. No one presses the ball, but the defensive line's quite high because you guess, tactically, you're playing Kazakhstan, we're going to play a high line, make the game because we, we're going to be the aggressors in this game. But obviously, like the one, again, going back to rule 101s, if you're going to play a high line, you you need to press the ball because... What that you saw there is exactly what happens. Even decent players, if you just give them no time in the high line, they can just ping it directly over the top. And it's, it's weird because you look. But it's not just that, Tony. It's like the, the lack of awareness uh, of what's going because you can see. I mean, the highlights you can see the run that the player sort of coming in from the the, the right hand side and making a sort of di- a forward diagonal run through. It's like the, the, nobody in the, the corner of their eye can can see the movement, and it's just so simple. A great finish. Mm-hmm. Got, got to say for the striker, a great finish because the way he, he let us it past Bain, there was no chance of Bain getting it. But even so, don't make it lack of pressure on the the the, the pass and the lack of uh, awareness of the, the striker's movement. I mean, it's a good run, but it should, it should be easily cut out. Yeah. Really. Bates to McKenna is a duo there. And then we've got Graham... Graham Shinney playing left back, but this I, I, I don't want to. I think one of the lads. This is this killed Graham Shinney's international career. I don't really think we've seen him since. I think Shinney at that point was a, a pretty useful midfielder. I think useful was actually doing him a service. He's a good player for Aberdeen at this point. Yeah. He was play, playing very well for them in central midfield, and I think that he had played at fullback for Inverness and stuff during his... but years ago yeah. so years ago so imagine like, I, I'm not if you're a, foot, a, a football player imagine there's like a, a degree of versatility like you could fundamentally say to Andy Robertson go and play as a striker and I'm sure that he'd have a degree of awareness of what's involved as a striker but if you're used to doing the same thing over and playing in the same position and doing the same sort of stuff that's going to be difficult for you even so, he'd, even I, he'd been, he'd been, I think he moved to Derby even by this point, and he was doing right. well in the championship as a, as, a, as a central midfield player. Even so, though, the lack of awareness at the, the run that comes behind him, the striker is um, Jan Vorogovsky. I think that's quite that's how you put it. I think Vorogovsky, but it's a nice finish because it's a good run and it's a nice touch and it's a, a good wee finish and it's, it takes it past Bainwell. But just again, a lack of awareness. I mean, he really seems to get his feet tied in knots before he's aware of, of what's, mm-hmm. what's going on. And then there's Scott McKenna just sort of like... <sighs> he's just lumbering. He's, every clip, he is lumbering about the pitch. Uh, and that's before we even get to the third goal where he's well, out-jumped by someone who's at least a couple of foot smaller than him. 
This is Bakitor Zendinov. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, uh, Bakitor. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. But it's one of those, like watching the highlights back, I, I can't couldn't really remember what the goals are like. I assumed this was a chance for Kazakhstan. When you see that ball lofted in there, as you deft loft, pitching wedge, whatever you want to describe it as, seeing that ball chucked in there, thinking, surely a six foot five defender is going to get his head in that. But it's incredibly, it's incredibly sort of job. I kind of get the impression that the attacker doesn't really expect to get from it. It's just the angle of the ball. And Bain, I don't think he expects them to get yeah. either, but the angle's perfect. And it just sort of nestles, bounces across Bain and into the, the, the side of the net. But dreadful stuff, embarrassing stuff. I think that when we went two goals down at that point, you're thinking, oh, that's a mountain to climb. But I mean, we didn't get our first shot and goal until 55 minutes into the game. But then there's another problem there, Tony. Our two forwards in that match were Ollie McBurney and Ollie Burke. Mm. The two of the worst Olivers on the planet. Please, sir, give us less. <laughs> like, like Burke, Burke, imagine if you were a manager and you saw this guy, like the build of him and his athleticism, you're like, fuck me, we really have something to work on. But I read an article in The Athletic about him that said when Dougie Friedman was managing him at Nottingham Forest, they would spend the entire week building a game plan for him, instructing it, drilling into him for the Saturday. Like, so he could play on a Saturday and have all the instructions he needed to go out there and make an impact. And if the team had the midweek fixture, Burke wouldn't play because it would disrupt <laughs> the Saturday. And it's, I, I've no reason to disbelieve that, that, that being the case. <laughs> you see him play, you saw him like playing for Celtic and it was all... Like football and brain, he didn't necessarily have one, and I think that because he had all the the raw skills to to be a, to to be a player, I think that's why managers persisted with him, and that's why he got Get the paid big money. Yeah, that's what the breaks he did. But I'm sure when he went to Leipzig, where the, the in German football there is like quite a big degree of of needing to be technically gifted, I think that's why he really struggled to make any impact there whatsoever because he just didn't have the didn't have the brain. He only, runs, he only runs in straight lines. Can't only run. Runs, only runs in straight lines. And that, that's, that's Burke. And then you've got all over McBurney, who Craig Anderson once described him as someone who wanted to play round the corner passes all the time. Mm-hmm. Like get it popped into his feet and pop it off. But for Scotland, I, I, have, I never, never once did I see him play well for Scotland. And I think he was quite an easy player to dislike. And I've seen some, some punters say that people don't like him because he's a Rangers player. A Rangers supporter, nothing to do with it. And I think that's really disingenuous. And it's trying to be a smart arse that's saying, mm. ah, yes, he is a good player, but he's not a good player. Or he no. certainly didn't play well, for, never played well for Scotland. Never played well for Scotland. It's interesting looking at, I was kind of looking back at when that, I mean, I was reading about him there because I was like, I like to look for a bit of scandal for these. And that was really hard because the kind of stand have done nothing and this Scotland team's so bland. So I ended up thinking, he's done stuff, surely. And then he just ended up. But looking back when he first signed, it was, um, Wilder liked him so he ended up paying like nearly 20 million pounds for him and it was all a lot of it was based around because they argued when they played when he played for Swansea right. uh, so they had a huge it was, that, was, that seemed to be a big part of the article is that they had a Barney and, and McBurney's quite an aggressive guy and, and he was shouting and then apparently his agent got the phone call and McBurney was surprised because he's like oh, I'm sure we had a set too a couple of times and he's like yeah that's what Wilder loved about you that's what Wilder <laughs> loved about you uh, so then he ends, and then this is this is the thing about football and life in general. Someone liking you 
at a certain point can suddenly elevate you so yeah. much further. And I, it was just really interesting. I, like, I believe that all hands down. And Wilder sort of took a punt on him. Similar like what you're talking about with Burke, he's got the raw, the, the raw abilities and he was thinking he's got the attitude that Wilder likes and he could fit into the team. And it's never worked out. And then his aggression is now, what, smacking, smacking stockbrokers or whatever. Uh, insurance salesman on, on the street, allegedly, I suppose I meant it, even though I've literally seen it. Um, and that was that was that was a funny one, and he's he's still he's he's a, he's good for a laugh, McBurney, from the outside. Uh, I just don't want him playing for for Scotland. If he's got, if he's at old firm games or Sheffield games with bucket hats on in there, fight, fair play, go for it. It's good, but don't affect my life. Yes, that's that's it. That's I don't need to add anything to that, Tony. You you said you summed up perfectly there. Um, and but yeah, when you look for that team, it's like you've got McGinn. McGregor, I mean, they're the only ones left. And and two years later, I mean, Forrest is, is pretty out of favour due, due to injury. Of course, Armstrong, I suppose, will, will come back in. Um, but he nearly what... scored as well. He nearly scored. I think it was actually McBurney that set him up, pushed the ball through for him. Mm. And it was a really good save by the goalkeeper, sort of diving low and just uh, a very good uh, low reflex save there. And now Palmer's sort of been phased out over time that even when we were struggling for right backs, he didn't even come back in. We ended up going for... For Paul McGinn, so we're not I think we're not going to be seeing many of these guys. I mean, big Scott McKenna might lumber about the squad for for eternity. Uh, I know I know I listen to you and Sean talk, and that's a huge issue for Sean. Yeah, aye. I, th- I think that that I don't know, man. It's like this was a period that for following Scotland wasn't wasn't much fun. I think that you were going into this, it was like, I sort of, oh God, here we go again with this qualifying group. Mm-hmm. You saw Russia and Belgium in it. You, I think we'd done quite well in the, the, the Nations League previously. And that, of course, that gave us the, the platform to go into Qualified. the games again. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, we'd done quite well, not under McLeish. But going into this game, the first game, and it's like, we want rid of the manager. A manager who no one wanted in, in the first place. I think that, that would go and remind me, that is when we went all out for Michael O'Neill, who chose to stay at Northern Ireland. And yeah. so we went to McLeish and said, which was, which was just a, a, a huge, a huge mistake. And then I remember... So, similar, to like, similar to like what, what, what Celtic done with uh, yeah. the Eddie Howe. And yeah, then, oh, that's so, a bigger part. And then, you, and then you just suddenly, and then it becomes like a scramble. And then we just, we just went for something we knew. I imagine literally been there before, but who without being rude to McLeish, was yesterday's news. And there's nothing wrong with that. Managers go in cycles. Managers yeah. have careers. And there's nothing wrong with that. He had a good career as a, as a manager. But going back, um, you're not even sure how well he is or, or, or how he was doing. Yeah. So, I uh, think that, just, was a, that was a lot of the talk at the time there, Tony. I mean, it's not on a cast dispersion, but I think McLeish going into that wasn't the best of health mm. at, at that point. I think that's why a lot of people, uh, certainly inside the game, were, were a bit surprised that, that he was given on such a... Such a high-profile role. I mean, he followed it up a couple of days later. We beat San Marino 2-0, and it was very, very unconvincing. If I remember where, even the Tartan Army, if you're going to San Marino, you are if I even if you're going to San Marino, you are like the hardcore. And when the hardcore are turning against the manager, then you're thinking, you need to act now. And ultimately, the Scottish FA listened, the Scottish FA did act decisively, and they got Steve Clarkin, who I mean, in terms of Scotland managers, since I've really been following football unanimously the, the number one pick I think everyone knew how well he done it, how well he had done at Kilmarnock number one pick for that job and there are times it's been easy to get frustrated with Steve Clark there have been times where I thought oh maybe if we we as he 
are we seeing any improvement? Should we be getting more from this group of players? But I think ultimately it was a it was a good pick, and we are on. We've come a long way from there, Tony. We've Absolutely. come a long way. And I think people forget this. It's it's hard to hire international football managers. It's just a difficult it's a difficult gig to sell to people, especially when you're not the best nation. I mean, sure, people will look at this group of players and think they could do a lot, but you, you're basically you cannot get young up and coming managers. That's that's so that's a whole batch of managers that you cannot entice. And then you, you, you've got middle-of-the-road managers who maybe want the day-to-day work. They don't want to fall out of club football. So you start going at the more elder statesmen. And then you look at Clark's record. It was good overall. He got West Brom he done well with there. I think he had another couple of good jobs there. And obviously what he'd done at Kilmarnock yeah. was was great. And he was he, he's, he's a manager that's good at getting more from the sum of his parts. So there'll always be arguments. You could not, there, could there be, and I, I was saying, a friend was like, oh, but another manager could get more for the squad than Steve Clark. Yes, they could. But we finding them and getting them on board mm-hmm. much more difficult. And sometimes ah. and people would say that as uh, being downtrodden and, and not being ambitious, but it's just a fact of life with, with international football management. I think you've called it well there. there there's a, there, there, there's like a, a, a line of ambition and realism and, mm. and like, let's be honest for the, for the best world in the world, like international, I'm trying to think who the best international manager would be. If you could, you could take any, take anyone like, um, fuck I can't even think of an international manager. That's probably sums up how, how how difficult it is. Like you could want like a Roberto Mancini type, yeah. for instance, someone who has over his career has largely had a, a successful career, made made all the money in the world, and somebody who's I don't know has reached a certain point in his life where he just wants to see his family a wee bit more and not get bogged down with the day to day stuff in club in club football. You're going to have a hard push to find that. And I think yeah, we're looking for the pit. It's like you need it to be the, the perfect moment, the perfect timing is everything. So it's all about, but talking of timing, I think ours has come to the end. Aye. I um, think it's like Alex McLeish's time as Scotland manager. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, these, these memorable matches have been, uh, they're, they're good. This is the, the fact that the, the, I think this is the second or third one I've done. The last one I've done was a 2-2 draw with the Faroe Islands from 2002. And it's, it, it's, it just gives you the pause. I don't like being too self-reflective because I always think, you know, you keep on looking forward. Like in, in any aspect of life, your own, your own personal life, your, your professional life, like your, your football team and so on. But you keep looking forward, but it's sometimes good to, to take a look back and think, fuck me. It was only two years ago, we, we were shite against, pumped against Karakistan, shite against the San, the San Marino. And now we're thinking, oh, I would just beat Moldova. And, and that, that's, uh, we've got a really good shout of going to uh, the World Cup. Entirely on merit. People might slag off the Nations League and, and beating Serbia stuff. Oh, it was a total backdoor thing. They've expanded the Euros and stuff. Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? But and this, this one, we wouldn't be using the Nations League either. This would be completely on merit. We've done on both. On merit because, because we have, have been good in these past few matches. So, Tony, long may it continue, my friend. Yes. And if you want to keep listening to me and tell for chat, then you can come over to Patreon, where Craig, because this might sound lazy, but Telfer's going to ask me stuff about what's good about coming to watch football in Edinburgh. Maybe it's because I was lazy and didn't want to do too much more um, research and this was a great way to go what what do you do when you go to the football I think I can tell you and that's what we're going to do but it's going to be fun it's going to be fun 
This is the, 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 the least convincing of our... I mean, effectively, Tony, this is an advert to try and make people part with £2 a month. This is the least convincing <laughs> argument I've ever heard. Somebody <laughs> part with £2 a month. But you know what? Like when, Whenever Tony and I get involved, Tony, next to Sean, you're my favourite person to do podcasts oh, with. Uh, the, the guys in the terrace. So you know what happens. You know what happens when Sean and I get together, but just imagine that on a slightly smaller scale. And if that doesn't entice you to pay your £2 a month, nothing will. will. Nothing will. I'm going to talk about some restaurants that nice to go to, some pubs that are fun uh, if you came to Easter Road in Tank Castle. So come over and join us. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.